0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of our Hospice News Podcast, Elevate. I'm reporter Holly Vossel, and today we'll be discussing the aspects of a new value-based payment arena opening up to hospice providers in 2021. This year, hospices will have the opportunity to participate in value-based payment programs such as Medicare Advantage and Primary Care First. These models include a mix of risk-based and performance-based payment structures concepts that will be new to the hospice industry. This fifth episode of our Elevate podcast will discuss the differences between these two payment methodologies and the risks and advantages of each. Today, we welcome Brad Stewart, who in January 2015 became Chief Medical Officer of the Coalition to Transform Advanced Care. CTAC is a serious illness care industry lobbying group, which represents more than 170 national and regional organizations. As Chief Medical Officer, Brad helps health systems, health plans, and other organizations design and implement integrated systems for people with advanced illness. Thanks for joining us today, Brad. I understand you were a hospice and palliative care medicine specialist for more than 20 years as Senior Medical Director of Sutter Care at Home in California. Can you say more about your professional background and what drew you to this medical specialty?
1: Okay, thanks, Holly, and uh, thanks for uh, the opportunity to spread the word on some of these things. Uh, Yeah, I started out as a general internist back in the uh, late 70s, early 80s, and moved to uh, end-of-life care after uh, quite a number of years of standard medicine uh, in the office, in the ICU, and the hospital, and I, uh, you know, eventually went from local Medical director here in Santa Rosa, California, where near where I still live, to uh, chief medical officer of Sutter Care at Home, part of Sutter Health, uh, covering most of Northern California. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, while while there, uh, I started a program that Wood Johnson Foundation grant to provide uh, palliative care type services at home, and this was before home-based palliative care really took off. So it was one of the one of the first programs to do that. We worked out of hospice and home health and uh, put together a system that we were able to uh, study pretty carefully, especially with the help of a big grant from uh, CMS mm-hmm. in the first round of uh, healthcare awards to uh, healthcare innovation awards. A lot of the data from that project eventually uh, informed the work that CMS did and CMMI did on the uh, payment systems we're going to talk about today. And that, that project at Sutter is pretty well summed up in an article in health affairs that we published uh, a year or so ago.
0: Right. And I think that is one of my questions later for you, too, as you mentioned that, that work that you participated in at Sutter, Sutter Health uh, informed the development of things like primary care's Initiative and I think the serious illness population model, but yeah, those will we'll get into that you can even speak to that now If you want, Uh, can you tell me more about that research and the implications that it might have for the value-based care in hospice and palliative?
1: Sure I was a, a hospice medical director for many years, and it it really was, of course, you know, very fulfilling and work, and we we touched a lot of uh, of people's lives over those years. But it was frustrating because I, I started out in primary care. And I have a lot of colleagues all over, well, the, the country, who uh, are in oncology and other specialties where palliative care really has, uh, you know, had an uphill fight to gain acceptance. So at Sutter, the project started out as a way to provide what we're now calling concurrent care to people who weren't yet ready for hospice, and. Uh, Many of them uh, had cancer, but also lots of heart failure, COPD, and other other medical diagnoses. So we uh, we wound up eventually. I think the program at this point it's still it's still running. I I left Sutter about four or five years ago, but. Uh, there's been twenty thirty forty thousand patients through the program now and it's it's very well established and and well studied and it uh... i think the uh... advantages to patients and families uh... in terms of their being able to stay out of the hospital be supported at home receive services that aren't just medical but social support as uh, and spiritual support as well many of the things we do in hospice they can receive and so uh... It also, uh, and of course this was what got CMS interested, is uh, it saves a lot of money because people choose on their own. They all have free choice and many of them, uh, three quarters of them, really uh, choose to stay at home and not go back to the hospital. So uh, that uh, really piqued CMS's interest.
0: Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and that's a value. I think you, you mentioned that uphill fight. So what is your perspective of what value-based payment models, like those you helped develop, and what they might mean for providers of hospice and and serious illness uh, care, as well as others like direct contracting and Medicare Advantage.
1: Well, you know, the the value-based payment arrangements that are coming around now are going to uh, be both a real new opportunity for hospice providers and also a real challenge not just for hospice but for everyone. CMS is really focused on uh, reducing cost with you know no impact on quality or you know preferably you know significant improvements in quality at lower cost so that's the big picture <laughs> the small picture for hospice or the the, the uh, lower elevation more granular picture is that Hospice is used to providing services uh, and being reimbursed through the Medicare Hospice Benefit. People say that that's not fee-for-service, uh, that it's kind of capitation, but in my view, it's closer to fee-for-service <laughs> than it is to capitation, <clears throat> because mm-hmm. you have to provide a whole suite of services under one daily payment, and in that sense, it's a little like capitation. but. On the other hand, you get paid every day, your patients are on service. So in that mm-hmm. sense, it's like fee-for-service because the more days people are on, the you know the better your reimbursement. So the incentives there are pretty obvious. Now we're into a world where coordination of care is becoming really a bigger and bigger focus and it's needed because the system is so fragmented. It's really disintegrated and so Working at Center Health was interesting because it's an integrating system. There are no integrated health systems. <laughs> We're all still integrating. We're still learning. But hospice will be brought into that mix more and more. And again, uh, the opportunity is that you'll really have a chance as a hospice agency to become more a part of the game. On the other hand, you know, the hospices that are used to operating community-based, kind of on their own, doing their own thing, they're going to have to really begin to uh, learn how to gather the right data, aggregate it, analyze it, realize how they're performing, not only from a clinical standpoint, but from a cost standpoint as well, uh, in order to, to succeed and integrate into this uh, system that CMS is trying to turn American healthcare into.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think those are really interesting points as far as how the specialized care in hospice or palliative care could kind of come into that fold under collaboration, that care continue and more. You hear that breaking away from those silos and becoming more of the conversation, so to speak. Yeah. Oh, well, those are great points. Thanks for sharing them. So these value-based payment models, they, like we were mentioning at the top of this, um, they include both risk and performance-based payments. Can you explain what that means and how those approaches differ?
1: Well, I I guess I kind of think of them kind of in tandem. Performance-based relates to the fact that, you know, there are metrics that if you want to receive full payment, you need to meet their their quality and cost metrics. So, and ideally they're related to outcomes and not just processes. So in other words, you know, the Medicare hospice benefit, you have to satisfy the conditions of participation, but really your only metric is how many days is your patient on service. And of course there are other quality metrics as well, but you get the payment if you if the patient gets days of service. Uh, in the new world there's going to be a lot more metrics to satisfy and performance based payments just indicate that you receive payment in a risk based system you receive a full payment if your metrics are good and in particularly and this is this is new if they 're good relative to Other agencies in your geographic area so if you know if you measure up and actually surpass the kind of average performance in your area whatever that may be the state or the locality you know your payment will be great and in fact you'll get bonuses so the performance has to do with making metrics and the risk has to do with depending on the level of risk that you elect to take you may get a partial payment if you don't quite measure up you may get a full payment or even a bonus if you do measure up or exceed you know the performance of other people in your area so your risk is if you don't perform you don't get a full payment so that that's mm-hmm. where i see performance and risk Integrated, like we were talking about. Uh, you know, if you think of them in an right. integrated fashion, it might be easier to, to uh, get your head around what you need to do to uh, be sustainable.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think that's why we're having this conversation today, is that hospice and palliative care providers are really trying to work, work, wrap their heads <laughs> around those financial risks and incentives of these value-based payment models. You know, can – you mentioned a few so far. Can you think of any more that you might want to advise for these hospices? Maybe how they can navigate the risks and reap the benefits of those value-based payment models.
1: Well, yeah. Let's talk about the models. I mean, the two that, yeah, that, that, that. that really the two the, the two new payment models that CMS will pilot. They're starting now, but COVID has set everything. Uh, well it hasn't just set it back it's kind of really thrown monkey wrenches into the works Lucky uh, right but <laughs> uh, yeah yeah uh, you know uh, and we could talk on a much wider uh, picture basis about how the whole deaf and dying concept has been affected by covid but let's let's mm-hmm. stay with let's with stay the honest. points here the <laughs> the two uh, the two models that CMS is piloting are uh, the first is uh, serious illness population or SIP? SIP payments within primary care first. Primary care first is a very large scale project that aims to really uh, integrate primary care and help primary care docs become sort of the captain of the ship. In the care of their patients. And uh, we, we don't need to get into primary care first. The serious illness payments, however, <clears throat> are part of that model. So hospices mm-hmm. can uh, look at. I mean, I think many hospices are kind of ideally situated to work within this model because all you got to do as a hospice is to look at your referral base. You know, who, which doctors are sending you patients? A lot of them are going to be primary care, and these days... Mm-hmm. Many, not all, uh, primary care docs work in groups, and some of those groups are going to be helping to pilot and eventually will be uh, worked into this primary care first model. So the serious illness payments are a component of the model, and they can be paid to entities or organizations that agree to care for seriously ill patients and i'm not going to get into details of what serious illness means but everybody who does hospice understands that they are people who are yeah they're hospice eligible or close or close to it so Mm -hmm. if you choose to participate you can the group that contracts for primary care first can receive those payments and either pass them through or make other financial arrangements with the hospices or other entities that provide those services to those seriously ill patients and i have to emphasize that you don't have to be a hospice to provide those services mm-hmm. so that's a wake-up call for hospice because there are going to be i guarantee it other entities other than hospice who are going to be very willing to provide those services And, uh, you know, they have to conform to the the Medicare hospice conditions of participation. But we all know uh, through experience that in the for-profit sector, there are a lot of actors and a lot of entities that are learning how to, you know, comply with conditions of participation without necessarily providing the kind of robust full suite of services that many community-based hospices do by routine so there's going to be some competition out there uh, but the road to success for hospices I would think is for them to take a, a hard look at who is referring them patients and see which of those primary care entities may be participating in primary care first and go right straight to the top of those groups or organizations and say, hey look, we ready, willing, and able to provide services to you and we would love to negotiate an agreement whereby you can receive these serious illness payments. We will help you do better with patients that uh, we really know how to take care of uh, and you may not have the expertise we can really help you uh, reduce your hospitalization rates that's that's primary in primary care first that is the big metric for success uh, keeping people out of the hospital well yeah it's costly but i mean when i say metric i mean they measure it and you're graded on it so uh, Mm. keeping people out of the hospital is your primary way to succeed and if if hospices pitch their ability to do that and i know in in the hospice i was uh, working with for so many years, when uh, patients got on our hospice services, 95% of them never went back to the hospital. And that's a huge selling point in any pitch to a group that's participating in primary care first. We can help you do what you're going to get graded on, your, your hospitalization rates, and we would love to help you do that. And then, then you got to sit down. And the CFOs and people have to work out a contract because all of these provider groups will have to have specific uh, contracts and agreements with hospices or others who are going to take care of these seriously ill patients.
0: All right. So, like, really emphasizing that value that hospice and and serious illness care can bring. Right. It sounds yeah, like it's going to be. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, and and focusing hard, straight on, on the metric that matters the most that CMS has put out right out front, which is reduced hospitalization rates. Any pitch to a group to participate in this, uh, that's really got to be up top. You know, we know how to do this. We can help you do this. And, uh, you know, if if I were working, uh, you know, to uh, create one of these agreements with with a, a participating group, you know, I've been a primary care doc and I know how many of us as, as PCPs, you know, the patient gets ill and we farm them out to, you know, numerous specialists and then the specialists deal with the serious illness. Primary care first, <laughs> you're going to get graded on your ability to reduce the number of specialists that your patients see and reduce the number of hospitalizations that they have to undergo. And those two, are, those two things are linked. PCPs mm-hmm. are nervous about managing seriously ill patients. They keep us awake at night worrying about them. And when they hit the ER, uh, <laughs> you know, we, we need to have tools in our tool belt to pull out. And having hospice okay. there to help, especially with the people that are a little bit upstream from hospice eligibility. That's a very, very big deal for primary care. But they don't necessarily, you know, we as primary care docs don't necessarily think about that. So you've got to make mm-hmm. a pitch and put that up front.
0: Right. And it, I want to circle back to that point that you had about how, you know, that hospice industry can be expanding with Programs like these value-based care and, and into other realms of the care continuum, but that also you mentioned it might make it even more of a crowded market and raise that competition as they compete with these providers who are not specifically hospice and and palliative care. Um, I think that's an interesting point. So how is CTIC working with providers to, you know, navigate those things and, and move into these payment systems? Now, what are some of those activities from CTAC?
1: Well, CTAC is uh, CTAC is kind of a you know information central, and mm-hmm. there are certain things that CTAC focuses on in particular. The value-based care uh, issues are are only one part of it. Another another big piece of what CMS is trying to accomplish with these new payment models is better integration of uh, social services. And you know, non-medical support services into the care of these patients. And uh, CTAC, you know has a has a uh, huge focus on equity on uh, just the things that President Biden has been talking about recently uh, in general. you know, in healthcare care, it's very clear that uh, you know certain segments of the population, minorities and people of color in particular, just don't get, the uh, quality of care and have much worse outcomes than more advantaged parts of the population. So CTAC has looked hard at that and has a lot of folks involved, you know, directly involved in CTAC on the board and in operations with uh, helping to move ahead with the, all of these equity issues. So that's a big piece of what CTAC does. For a number of years uh, I and a couple other people would go out and actually sit down with the uh, clinical and executive leadership of you know some of the bigger health systems in the country to put these systems of care together we don't do that direct operational consulting anymore but uh, it is something that CTAC's available for to to talk to people about because the the, <laughs> the, uh, the uh, implementation of these systems is not super simple from a health system standpoint or a hospice standpoint. So, you know, I think uh, as far as uh, what CTAC is focused on, you know, hospice, of course, is part of it. But, you know, like in my area of, uh, you know, experience, hospice and palliative care, especially home-based palliative care, those are the services, That that's the package of services that, hospices could provide some of them do you know most of the larger hospice programs you know also do home-based palliative care it's pretty easy operationally to you know open your operations up and provide those services not so easy to get reimbursed for home-based palliative care under awesome. the current hospice reimbursement system but if you know how to do it and you're already doing it again that's another big piece of what your pitch needs to contain which is hey we know how to take care of these patients at home and provide palliative care and social services spiritual support the whole package and uh, oh by the way here's our numbers you know again data is data drives all of this here's 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 our numbers from the last 2 years say on uh, the uh, percentage of our enrollees in hospice and palliative care programs who we're re-hospitalized within X months of enrollment in our service. You know, things like that where you can actually put mm-hmm. numbers down on the table and say, uh, you know, we know how to do this. And that that's the road to success because you better believe a lot of non-hospice entities are going to be doing the same thing. They're they're going to be out there putting uh, – there already are uh, – not-for-profit, but especially for-profit, home-based palliative care providers, Aspire being one of them, a very successful and high-quality program, but it's not a hospice program. So if you're hospice, uh, you got to know that there are folks out there who are uh, already, you know, uh, chomping at the bit to get at these negotiations.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I really appreciate you thinking... You know, sharing your perspective with us today, Brad, I think you've given us some good food for thought in the beginnings of a new value-based payment environment. I really appreciate your candor. (laughs) Sure. Well, thanks so much for our listeners for tuning in to today's episode of Hospice News Elevate Podcast. Have a great day.